0: You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, good evening. You guys can go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be in verse 15 this evening as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments. Uh, We're in the second table of the law. Uh, which the Lord Jesus tells us is summed up with the commandment, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And tonight we're looking at the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Now most of us come to this commandment and we tend to think the same thing. Right? Tell me if this is you. You come to the eighth commandment and you think, right? I've taken a beating from the rest of these ten commandments, but now I get a break. Right? It's generally how we tend to think about this. Now I get a break. Right? Don't steal. Don't steal. That's pretty simple. I'm not a thief. right? I don't steal stuff from the store. I've never robbed someone at gunpoint. I've never robbed a bank. right? I'm good to go on this commandment. Um, it was actually a really interesting statistic I came across while I was studying for this sermon. Uh, a, few, a few years ago, there was a poll done amongst professing evangelical Christians that asked them if they thought they had ever broken the Eighth Commandment. And 86%. I'll say it again for the people in the back. 86% of people polled said that they believed they had never, ever broken this commandment. 86% of professing evangelicals polled said they had never broken the Eighth Commandment. Now, in in, in claiming to have never broken the Eighth Commandment, <clears throat> these people were saying that they believed that they had perfectly kept part of the law of God. That they had never ever sinned in this area. That on judgment day, if God were to go through the 10 commandments, he'd get to the 8th commandment and say, "Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty bad on everything else, but really well done there." Right? That they were perfect and flawless as far as this law is concerned. And I think honestly, that's generally how most of us look at this at this law. Right? Again, if someone asked you if you've ever broken the Eighth Commandment, even if you can't think of anything right off the top of your head, you're too pious, right? We're reformed. We're much too pious to say that I've ever perfectly kept any law. But in your heart, you probably think, yeah, generally speaking, I keep the Eighth Commandment really, really, really well, right? We we tend to do that. We tend to look at this commandment and keep it very surface level. Don't look much into it and all of its implications. Don't look much into the spiritual aspect of it. And in doing so, we deceive ourselves into thinking that we have kept Part of the law of God. Right? Again, we've broken all the other ones, but we're good on this one. Right? But do you realize how absolutely bananas that that sounds? <laughs> or how absolutely crazy that that is? We look at the other nine commandments and we see very, very clearly we are idolaters, false worshipers, blasphemers, Sabbath breakers, disrespectful of authority, murderous and adulterous at heart, liars and covetous in our hearts. But we've kept this one. It's madness. If we know, and we do, we know good and well that God's standard is absolute perfection, and that the law of God has all kinds of positive and negative implications, and furthermore, the law speaks to spiritual things, our heart condition, since we know all of that, then how in the world can we ever say that there's any commandment that we haven't broken in some way? That just doesn't make any sense. And really, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, that kind of thinking really shows a low view of the law of God. To think that we've kept any commandment perfectly. Or that we're currently keeping any commandment perfectly. I don't just mean externally. We can keep commandments externally. But perfectly keep commandments shows a very low view of the law of God and a very low view of the holiness of God. So my goal this evening is to lay this commandment out for you in a way that reveals to every one of us that in some way or another, every single person in this room is a thief. Every one of us. We've all stolen from people. Maybe you didn't realize it. I'm hoping to show you this evening. You've stolen from somebody. We've all been poor stewards of the gifts and resources that God has given to us. And we, all of us, have in some sense stolen from God. Dare I say it on a regular basis. But there is good news for us. (laughs) Christ died to save thieves. He died to save thieves. And his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness is offered to any who will come to him in faith. So with that said, let's go ahead and read Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll jump down to verse 15. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. and our commandment this evening, you shall not steal. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you seeking your help. Uh, we come to you as a people who are slow to understand and slow to believe and slow to obey. Uh, but we ask that you would be gracious to us and open our hearts to receive your word this evening. Grant us that we would see our sin and hate it. Grant us that we would see Christ offered us in the gospel and lay hold of him by faith. Grant us that we would leave this place seeking to walk in your law with hearts full of joy and gratitude to you for being kind to us and forgiving our sins in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this commandment is very, very simple. You shall not steal right? Uh, in Hebrew, it's literally two words. The, the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandment in Hebrew are two words apiece. It's no stealing, <laughs> like no murder, no adultery, no stealing. They're very simple and very, very, very straightforward, but what does it mean to steal, right? The Hebrew word for steal means to carry something away, to carry something away, right? This commandment To not steal covers all conventional types of theft, right? Burglary, where you break in somewhere to steal. Robbery, where you take something from someone by force or intimidation. Larceny, which is usually what you think of when you think of stealing. Larceny is where you take something without permission and you don't give it back. Uh, This covers hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, purse snatching, embezzlement, extortion, right? All the general things that we think of when we think of stealing. But this commandment also covers things like borrowing and not returning what you borrowed right again you've taken it away you've carried it off it covers withholding something that another person is owed so though you didn't take something from them they had something coming to them that you didn't give this covers willfully not fulfilling a promise to give or do something to someone else in your promising it or vowing it consider that married people and you're vowing something to someone else you now owe it to them and you didn't give it to them refusing to pay back something or someone when they lent something to you again there are there are many different ways uh, to steal right again like our our law code in the U.S. is ridiculous you can't even read it right why because people come up with new ways to steal right we'd write a book in and of itself on all the different ways that people can steal from other people But I think we can boil down stealing to this. I think this is a pretty good definition. Stealing is taking anything that doesn't belong to you or defrauding someone of what is rightfully theirs or withholding anything that is rightfully owed to another person. So to take something, defraud something, or withhold something from someone else to whom it rightfully belongs. But again, this is pretty much common sense. Right, that stealing is immoral. Like I, you don't really have to, it's not a big deep theological question. Well, What does it mean to steal? And if you're asking that, then I really wonder, do you care about the law of God? All right, but, it, but it's very common sense to us that, that stealing is immoral. Right? That it's something that ought not to be done. There, there hasn't been a society or civilization since the dawn of mankind that has not understood this concept. Right? This is a basic one. Uh, even in the smallest codes of law, don't steal is always in there. Right? Everyone universally understands that it is morally unacceptable to steal from another person. Right? Just like I pointed out last week with the seventh commandment, adultery, and I'm going to point out next week with the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, I, I, I don't need to prove to you this week that stealing is an evil thing. <laughs> right? Even the pagans know that this is a wicked thing to do. Even the pagans understand that they may not use the word sin. They understand this idea that stealing is most certainly a sin against your neighbor. That is definitely doing something wrong to a neighbor. And as Christians, we need to remember, as we look at all of the second table of the law, Commandments 5 through 10, we need to, we need to remember that this second table is summed up with love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And you can't love your neighbor while you're stealing from them. You can't. Again, I think pagans understand this. Stealing hurts people. It causes pain, maybe different kinds of pain. If you've ever been stolen from, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I hope you haven't, but most of us have had something taken from us. To have your home broken into leaves you with a feeling of being unsafe and violated. To be robbed or mugged leaves you paranoid and wary of other people. You just don't trust people anymore when you're walking down the street. Theft can cause emotional pain to people. If you've ever had something sentimental stolen from you, like a photograph or an heirloom that belonged to your grandparents or something like that, something that belonged to a loved one is gone now and you can't get it back, to have someone take something of yours in general oftentimes leaves you at a disadvantage financially. You've got to replace what was taken most likely. And if you've ever had someone steal a significant amount of money from you or an expensive item that you need, then you know what kind of financial crisis that that can put an individual in or a whole family in. Again, theft hurts people. It hurts people. To steal from someone, I don't know if you ever thought about it like this, to steal from someone is to count them as less important than yourself. That person is less important than what I want. To steal from someone is to deny that that person has inherent dignity as an image bearer of God and that there's someone that you can just disrespect with impunity. To steal is to deny someone the respect that they deserve as a, the highest being or a, a being of the highest created order on earth. To steal from someone is to count them as a thing to be used and not a person to be loved. In fact, in order to be a thief, you must at least in that moment when you're stealing, you have to hate the person you're stealing from. Again, you can't love someone as you steal from them. And I say that because you're showing that person that you have absolutely no respect for them and you care nothing about their well-being. You care nothing about them. In stealing, the thief shows a supreme love for self and a hatred of their neighbor. And the Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Our Lord Jesus says, you want to sum up this second table of the law? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the summary of your duty towards another human being. Very clearly, stealing is one of the most basic violations of this golden rule that the Lord Jesus gives to us. Right? Again, you don't have to be very smart to figure this out. No sane person wants to be stolen from. <laughs> right? And we're all to love our neighbors and treat them as we would want to be treated. And so this would definitely include not stealing from them. Again, the golden rule tells us that much. And just a side note, we would all do well. This just occurred to me as I was writing this out. We would all do really well to run literally everything we do through this grid of the golden rule. There's a reason why Jesus says, You want a summary of how you're supposed to treat other people? <laughs> Here it is. It's very easy to remember. We would all do well to filter everything we do through this principle. Right? Just in general, how our lives might change if we would actually do unto others as we would have them do unto us. How often our mouths would be stopped. How often we would be stopped dead in our tracks in whatever action that we were getting ready to do. Our thoughts would be changed if we would do unto others as we want them to do unto us. So that's just a quick aside. Think about that sincerely, I mean this, like I've met Christians, and I I've, I've, I was one there for a minute, that forgot that that was in the Bible, because it's kind of a cliche in our culture, do unto others, Jesus said that, run your actions through that, use that filter, but anyway, it's, it's plain to see that the Eighth Commandment is a sin against our neighbor, right, but how is this a sin against God, that's really the question that I always want to ask, because again, seeing how this, this hurts someone else, and I I'm supposed to love my neighbor. It's usually very easy to see when we look at the law of God. But how is this a sin against God? Why does God take the Eighth Commandment so seriously? Why did the Eighth Commandment make it in the Ten Commandments? Well, to see that, we need to consider, consider some principles that lay behind this commandment, right? Some biblical truths that lay a foundation for it. And there's two, I think. And the first is this. Here's your first principle that lays behind the Eighth Commandment. God owns everything, everything, right? People may have things in their possession, people may have a form of ownership over things, but really and ultimately, every single thing belongs to God. As our call to worship said, Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, everything, everything. And as Steve referenced in his prayer, Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Again, that's metaphor. I own everything is what God's saying. So everything you've ever come into contact with. This is weird to think about sometimes because we just don't think like this often. Everything you've ever come into contact with, every person, everything you've ever possessed or enjoyed or used, everything in an ultimate sense really belongs to God. The earth is His and the fullness thereof. The earth and every single thing in it, every person, every animal, every plot of land, every device and utensil in the world belongs to Him. And again, just think about it. God made everything and He made it out of nothing. He made it completely by Himself. He had no help or resources from anyone and He made it for Himself. For His purpose to glorify himself, and he's the one who controls it all. It's his. Everything is his, right? So that's the first principle behind this eighth commandment, but the second principle behind this is humanity's divine right to property. Humanity's divine right to property, and what I mean is this. God has given us the right to In a sense, in a manner of speaking, he's given us a right to own things. He's given us the right to rightfully possess and use property, right? And he's given us the right to have possessions and use them exclusively. And what I mean is, your stuff is your stuff. Right? If you lawfully and rightly have come by whatever it is that you own, it's actually yours. God has given you a right to use those things exclusively. They don't belong to another person. They're yours. Right? So though God is the ultimate and supreme owner of everything, we can in a lesser sense actually own things. Take that communism. But again, just think about it. I'm serious. There's actually a reason why Christians are generally speaking against communism. The 8th commandment's one of them. Community doesn't own things, people own things. But we'll, that's another thing for another time. Let's talk about that out in the parking lot. <laughs> but the command, do not steal, just think about it for a second. It necessarily presupposes that someone can actually own something, it presupposes it, right? That, it, that's, that possessions actually belong to people in some sense. Right? And since God owns all things, and humanity also has a right to possess and own things as well, then that means that whatever a person owns has been given to them. Now you're starting to see why this is important. Whatever you own has been given, because it's ultimately God's. Right? God has, in His kindness and in His grace, sovereignly, At his good pleasure, distributed different possessions and amounts of money and homes and cars and clothing, whatever, to different human beings as he sees fit. God has given different people different stuff, whatever he wanted to give them. So whatever we rightfully own, God has given to us by his grace and good pleasure. Everything we own is a gift from God, who is the great gift giver and owner of the universe. But what does stealing do in light of these principles? Like, what does stealing do in light of these principles? What does the heart of the thief say to God? Well, first, when someone steals from another person, it's as if they're trying to rob God of his providence. I don't know if you've ever considered that. The thief tries, attempts to rob God of his providence. God is the one who decides which people gets Which things, right? He gives gifts as he sees fit. But in stealing, the thief decides to try and override God's sovereignty and take for himself what God has decided to not give him or her. The thief is taking one of God's gifts away from someone else. The thief is attempting to deny God his prerogative to distribute gifts as God sees fit. The thief says In his or her heart, God shouldn't have given that thing to that person. You ever consider the insolence in stealing? God should have given that to me, not them. So I'm going to take it from them because ultimately I hate God for giving to them what I think he should have given to me. The thief is attempting to be God to himself and be the one who ultimately determines what he gets. So we could say that to steal is to try and play God over your life by taking gifts from someone else that God has decided to give them. Another way this is a sin against God, in stealing, the thief reveals a heart of unbelief. The thief reveals a heart of unbelief. Sometimes, and this is honest, people steal because they actually need something. Right? You can steal out of need or out of greed. There's your Baptist-y phrase for the day. You think of a homeless person who steals food Right? because they're hungry. They steal out of their need. And while we understand why someone would steal out of their poverty, it doesn't change the fact that it's sin. Right? There's a proverb that says people understand the person who steals because they're hungry, but if the thief is caught, he will make restitution, a full restitution for what he's stolen. Right? So again, while we understand why someone would steal from their need, it doesn't change the fact that it's sin. When someone steals because they lack something they need, they they reveal a heart of unbelief. In that scenario, the thief reveals that they don't believe that God is able to give them what they need in some way. They don't reveal God is able to do it. They don't believe that God is able to provide for them. They don't believe that God is able to bend someone's heart to help them if the thief were to ask for help. Or the person who steals out of need proves that they believe that while God is certainly able to provide for them, right? He's God and he can do what he wants, that God is not kind enough to help them. That God is not willing to help them. Both of these heart postures are evil, they're a blasphemy against God. It's blasphemous to say that God can't do something to help you. And it's also an insult and blasphemy against him to think that God is not willing or kind enough to help you in the midst of your need. Right, All throughout the scriptures, God describes himself as the great sustainer and helper of his people and as the one who controls all things, who can bend people's heart to make them do as he wills. So how dare we not believe that that is true? The one who steals out of need shows a heart of unbelief. Or, the thief may just reveal a heart that doesn't believe that God is just. Right? The one who steals out of their greed doesn't believe that God is just. The thief may steal because they don't believe that there is a God who is going to judge them for their sins. They don't believe that there is going to be an eternal reckoning for sinners who refuse to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. Which is foolishness, right? Every thief will one day give an account to God and Christ is the only hope that the sinner has. But regardless, stealing reveals an evil and unbelieving heart in some form. Or a third way that this is a sin against God. The person who steals reveals that their heart is one dominated by greed, envy, and covetousness. It's actually funny, the 8th, ninth, and 10th commandments all kind of interplay with one another. But the thief looks at how God has blessed someone else. And then feels a sense of entitlement to what God has given another person. That's envy. It's sin. I ought to have what you have. The thief steals out of a sense of discontentment with what they've been given. That's covetousness. Again, they show that they're envious of what God has blessed others with and how God has blessed them. Really, the thief reveals that possessions and money are their gods and they reveal that I say that because the thief is willing to violate the law of God in order to get something that they want in order to feed that covetous desire in order to satiate that envy that they have in order to, to to see their greed worked out they're willing to violate the law of God in order to get something and such a person's life is consumed by one word more I want more I want that thing so rather than living a life of faith that honors the one true God they serve themselves and their covetous greed and trade in the gift giver for the gifts that he has given someone else and this is idolatry can you see now why God sends unrepentant thieves to hell can you see how this is a great and grievous sin against God the thief attempts to rob God of his providence and sovereign authority. They blaspheme his ability and willingness to provide. They blaspheme his just nature and holiness. And ultimately, they are worshipers of a false god. They are idolaters of money and possessions. And there are other things that we might say about the sin of sealing, but surely this is proof enough that this is a grievous sin. Surely this shows us why God placed this in his Ten Commandments that he's given us to live by. Right, not only is stealing a sin against our fellow human beings, but it is a wicked sin against God. But maybe you're thinking, yeah, no, no, like I get that. That's a sin against God. It's certainly a sin against my fellow man, but I don't think that I've stolen. Right? I I don't think that I currently am stealing from anybody. Right? And listen, I hope that you're not currently stealing from anyone, but let's think through some of the ways that this commandment can be broken. Let's see i got 12 questions I want to ask you. Do you currently have anything in your house that you've borrowed from someone with the understanding that you would return it, but you haven't? I know, like, I personally, in light of this, i have had to go through my house, and this coming week I plan on returning things to people. Or making restitution. Do you have something in your house that you should have returned, but you haven't? Have you ever taken anything from work without asking your employer? And I mean anything paper clips, paper, pens, a piece of candy, folder, books, some leftover bolts laying on the ground. Have you taken anything from your employer without asking? Have you ever cheated on your taxes or lied to your bookkeeper? Right? Even just a small amount. You just fudged a couple of numbers here and there. Even if it was just to, quote, level the playing field because we're taxed too much in our country. Have you relied on your taxes? Let's, let's kick it into a realm maybe you never thought about. Let's think about your work ethic and your job performance. Right, consider this. When your employer hired you, you were hired with an understanding that they would pay you a certain amount of money, and in return, you would do certain tasks for them. Whether it's a signed contract or a verbal contract, you've made an agreement with your employer that you will give them an honest day's labor in exchange for an agreed-upon amount of pay. Now, in light of that, Do you always, without fail, always give them an honest day's labor? Like you never slack. You never break the rules. You never play on your phone when you should be working. And again, if you've got something worked out with your employer where they allow you to do stuff like that, then that's great but are you doing those things at the expense of your work? Have you ever had a lazy day at work where you knew you should be doing something but decided not to because, quote, I've worked hard enough up in here and someone else is gonna pick up the slack for me for once. If you've ever been lazy at work, then you've stolen from your employer. Even if you're on salary, they pay you to work hard and you have not given them what you owed them, but they paid you. For those who are paid by the hour, Have you ever worked slowly so that you would then have to stay past your normal shift time to finish your work? As my grandfather used to call it, beating in your time. And you did this so that you would get a few extra hours that week, though you could have done your work in the normal amount of time. If if, if so, then you've stolen. You were purposefully lazy so that you'd make more money in the long run. Employers or future employers even. Have you ever made one of your employees do the work of two people but did not compensate them for it? They agreed to do this job and you've laid more on them without renegotiating their pay. That's theft from your employees. Have you ever went to buy something? This is fun. You go to buy something, the seller is asking a fair price, but you complain about things that are wrong with the item that's for sale when there is nothing wrong with it. Are you just doing it to beat them down on the price? If so, you defrauded them. You lied to them to make them come down on the price, and you stole from them. And I'm not saying that we can't haggle with people. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm not giving you more money than that. But to lie about the product, to drive the price down, that's theft. Likewise, have you ever sold something and knowingly withheld information about the item that would have lowered the price? Again, if you've ever done that, then you've defrauded someone. You've lied to them so you could elevate the price, and you stole from them. Have you ever been intentionally lazy? This is one for Scioto County. Have you ever been intentionally lazy and refused to work so you could instead live off of the charity of government, churches, and individuals? You would not seek employment, though you were able, and instead allowed others to pay your way. If so, you have stolen from them in your laziness. You unrighteously made them pay for your unwillingness to take care of yourself. You took from them. Ten. This is is broad. Have you ever manipulated anyone in any way in order to get them to give you something? Right? Where you weren't completely honest. You exaggerated your need. Anything, whatever, in order to get them to do something for you or give something to you. If you've ever manipulated someone in order to get them to give you something or to help you with something, then you stole from them, even if it was just their time that you stole from them. Have you ever borrowed money or taken out a loan knowing that you will never pay this back? Then you've stolen. Even if it's from a bank, it is theft. Have you ever promised to do something? It's my last one. Have you ever promised to do something for someone or to give something to someone like you made a vow or you promised something to them? Again, as I said earlier, I'm thinking about marriage is one of the things that we can do this in. You made a vow to someone and then did not or you are not fulfilling what it is that you vowed to them? Like to love your spouse as Christ loved the church, to be patient with them, to care for them to submit to them? If you're not fulfilling what you've promised, if you're not fulfilling what you vowed, then you have stolen whatever it is that you've promised because in giving your word, you now owe that person. You're withholding what you had promised to give. You're not giving them what, right, what they rightfully have coming to them. Surely now, no one in here is so foolish to say that they've never broken the Eighth Commandment. God help you if you're still that stubborn. Surely there's not one person among us who can honestly say, I've always paid what I owed. I've never taken from another person in any way. I've always dealt honestly with everyone. I've never been lazy, and I've always given whatever it is that I've promised. We've all violated this law and its negative aspect. But we're not done. We're not done. We looked at the negative, but what is the 8th commandment telling us that we are to positively go do? Right, again, if the commandment says do not, then it necessarily implies we are to do something else. And if the commandment says do this, then it's implying that we are to not do something else. Well, the commandment says negatively, you shall not steal. The positive implication is then it's opposite. what's the opposite of stealing? Generosity. That's the opposite of Stealing. And hear me out. Follow me on this. If you're not allowed to steal, but you're being told positively to be generous, then what must you do? You must work hard and be a good steward of what God gives you out of your labor. Paul tells us this much, actually, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here, Paul tells us that we are to work an honest job, right? One that does not require us to participate in sin. That's what it means to work an honest job. And we're to work that job instead of stealing, so that we might have something to share with someone who is legitimately in need. He says, Paul says we are to work so we can set aside money, so that we can then in turn help someone out down the road and in order to have extra resources so we can help others as I said a minute ago we are going to have to be good stewards of what God allows us to have a steward is someone who takes care of the estate or possessions of another person that's what a steward is now, to be a steward means that we're going to take care of what God has given us. We're not going to waste it. And we're not going to let it fall into disrepair. We're going to do with it what He has instructed us to do with whatever He's given to us. And remember, everything in the world ultimate belong, ultimately belongs to God. So whatever we get, whatever we have, has been given to us by Him. Whatever God has given to us, He's given so that we can use it in a way that glorifies Him. Remember, that's God's reason in doing everything. That he would be shown to be supreme and that he would be glorified. So whenever he gives you things, it's so that you might use them in a way that declares to the world, God is supreme and I strive to glorify him. And here in the eighth commandment, God is calling us to glorify him by being a generous people. And if we're to be generous to others, then that means we cannot squander the things that God gives us. All right, now, this hits just about everyone right in the face, I would assume. Right, we live in a culture of constant buying and instant gratification, do we not? You get online and you just order stuff. I think everyone in here has done that at some point, or at least most of us in here have done that at some point. You just get online and you just order stuff. You see something that you want, and if you've got the money, you just get it. You just buy it. But the eighth commandment reveals to us that we need to be conservative in how we use our money and everything else that we have if we're really going to be generous. We're to be a people who actually, hear me out, who actually use budgets. And uh, people who who don't waste our money on foolish things. Who actually lives within our means who strives to set back. There's a proverb, again, I, I should have written this down. There's a proverb that says, a good man lays aside something so that his grandchildren can have something. Again, we're to save. We're to be good stewards of our money, not waste it. Right? We're not to be a people constantly given over to wasting our time, energy, and money on stuff that doesn't really matter. And since God expects generosity out of us, then that means... That when we have more than we need, again, it's so that we might be generous and help others who are in a legitimate need. And again, hear me, I'm, I'm not a, communi- a communist. I'm not saying that we need to give to others who aren't doing as well as us, but I'm talking about people who are in actual need. I'm not saying everything has to be equal all around. Right? Second Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, Hannah prays and says, God makes people rich and God makes people poor. I'm not saying everyone has to have equal everything. But if we have an excess, it's so that we might help others who are legitimately in need. Now let me just lay this before you in light of that. The eighth commandment is then not kept by merely not stealing. (laughs) The Eighth Commandment is not kept merely by dealing honestly with other people. This commandment tells us to be generous as well. So let me ask just a real question for you. It's a penetrating question. How generous are you? And the answer is going to be different for, for different people here because not everyone has the exact same income coming in. But how generous are you? What do you do with your resources? right? Whatever they are, however much you have, what do you do with them? Do you tend to hoard up what you have? Right? Where you refuse to, to give aid to people even though you're able? Is giving even really a part of your life? Is it something that you really even ever consider? Or is your thinking generally me-centered? Right? What about me? I already have more than I want. But, but what about 20 years down the road? You're just thinking nothing but me Centered always. Remember, the second table of the law is summed up with "Love, your neighbor. Love your neighbor." which would then mean help your neighbor when you're able, if you're able. Or maybe you don't hoard up your money like many of us are prone to do. Maybe you're a wasteful person. Like, let's keep it real. Maybe you're a wasteful person. Maybe you're like the prodigal son who squanders everything that our Father gives to you. Do you constantly spend your money on foolish things that are meant to entertain you? I'm serious. How much of your money goes to entertainment? Or clothes that you don't need? Or guns that you don't need? Or whatever else, really? And again, I'm not saying that, that you can't buy things. I'm not saying you can't have like fun. I'm not saying that... But my question is, do you spend yourself broke to the point where you have nothing left to give someone whenever you find someone who's in need? That's not good stewardship either. That's just as evil as hoarding your money. Greediness can look like hoarding up and greediness can look like spending yourself to death. God gives us more than we need so we can help out people who are are truly in need. And again, I'm not saying we're not allowed to have nice things, and I'm not saying that we're not allowed to spend money on ourselves, but I am saying that generosity is meant to be something that is a distinguishing mark of the people of God. So where are you at on this? Again, do you hoard your money up or do you spend yourself to death? Because both of those attitudes are at odds with the Eighth Commandment. You could even say that both of these... uh, Ways of using or viewing your resources are a form of stealing from those who are in need. And again, I want to be clear, I know this is the third time I've mentioned communism, but I'm not advocating for socialism or anything like that. I actually think that's at odds with the scriptures. But I am saying that if we're not being generous, and we're able to be generous, then we are in some ways committing a form of theft. If not from others, then it's as if we're stealing from God. Have you considered this? Again, said it for the fourth time now, God's given us an abundance so that we might be generous to the poor and give to the church and give to worldwide ministries and help out our brothers and sisters among us and the like, and then, or rather, and when we refuse to do the very things for which God has given us an abundance, it's as if we are stealing from Him. It's not good stewardship. If you had a servant in your house that you told to manage your affairs in a certain way, and then you came home to find out that he had hoarded your money or wasted your money, you would be furious. Would you not? You'd be furious. The servant basically stole your money. He did not use it how you told him to. And that's what we do when we refuse to be generous. We're bad stewards of what God has given, and we commit a form of theft against God himself. So this commandment speaks to stewardship, a right use of what God has given to us. And so far, we've really only talked about money, but I want us to go a little bit deeper. Right? And remember, any form of bad stewardship is tantamount to stealing from God. So whatever you have, whatever you have, not just money, but whatever it is that you have, time, talents, family, whatever, God gave it to you so that you might glorify and honor him. So have, what have you stolen from God? Again, in your greed or wastefulness, have you stolen money from him, as we've been talking about? Where you've not given to the ministries of the church? And look, I don't have a building fund or anything that I'm aiming at with, when saying this, but I'm just keeping it real. By not giving to the ministries of the church, have you stolen from God? And not giving to the relief of the poor, and not helping people in need, though you're able, have you stolen from God? What about your time? That's fun. That's fun. What about your time? Have you stolen time from God? Is your life, apart from your employment, one of just wasting time on a couch? Right? Wasting time playing endless games and watching television and spending endless hours on entertainment. You should be in the Word of God. You should be spending time in prayer. You should be spending time discipling others or being discipled. You should be spending time volunteering in different ways in the church or whatever is able, whatever you're able to do. What are you doing with the precious time that God has loaned to you? Or are you stealing it from Him? Parents, what about your children? Have you been a good steward with them? Because really, they do belong to God. Everything you have is a gift from Him. What's your stewardship with your children look like? And fathers, I'm primarily looking at you. Do you teach your children the word of God? Do you read the scriptures to them? Do you show them how to pray? Do you catechize them? Are your children being taught right from wrong? Are they being taught reverence and respect for God by your actions and your words? Or are you wasting the gift that is your children and making making excuses for your poor stewardship of them? Have you stolen the gospel? Have you stolen the gospel from people? God has given us the message of salvation through faith in Christ. Are you a good steward of that? This is our greatest stewardship. Do you tell others of Christ and Him crucified and call them to repent? Or do you keep this greatest of all messages to yourself? It is the greatest stewardship that we have, that we would be caretakers of the gospel and the word of God. Have you stolen it? Have you hoarded it up for yourself and you will not share it with others? Have you refused to proclaim the gospel as God commanded you when you became a Christian? I I do know one way that every one of us steals from God, and it's huge and it's grievous. If nothing else, I know one way that every one of us does. Remember, to not render to someone what is owed to them is to steal from them. And what does God deserve from you? What does God deserve from all of us? What does He have coming to Him as God? What do we owe Him as creatures? All of our affection. All of our love. Our undying allegiance and loyalty. Our unyielding obedience. He deserves from us everything that we are. In the words of John Calvin, given to him promptly and sincerely. He deserves all honor and glory and praise from us. And in spite of what we owe him, in spite of what he has coming to him, what do we do? We sin. We sin. And every time that we sin, we are robbing God of the glory and praise that is due to him. We're glory thieves. We're glory thieves. Every time we sin, we prove that we're living for ourselves and not for the glory of God. We're not giving Him what's due to Him, we're stealing. Every one of us, in some way, often more ways than one, dare I say it, are thieves. But the good news for us is that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified to save sinners. Specifically, he was crucified between two thieves. Matthew chapter 27 verse 38 says, The two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. As Isaiah had prophesied centuries before, Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. The sinless Lord Jesus was reckoned by God on that day on the cross. He was reckoned a sinner. According to the justice of God, there were three thieves crucified that day. Christ, in His great love for us, allowed Himself to be counted as a thief in order to save thieves like us. On that day, He was counted as a greedy, idolatrous, providence-robbing, blaspheming, God-hating, money-squandering, selfish, glory-stealing thief. And He was punished by God stricken by God, smitten and afflicted, crushed by God, all for our sins in our place. He was counted as a sinner, though he was sinless, and treated as a sinner and punished in our place, though he had done no wrong. And he did all of this in order to save thieves like us. And here's our proof that Christ died to save thieves. One of the thieves crucified next to him turned to Christ in faith and said Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and he said to him truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise Christ died to save thieves he's the savior of thieves like us he only asks that we come to him admit our guilt and trust in him and his work done for us Listen to me, all of us are thieves, but if any thief will look to Christ in faith, then they will live. Christ's promise of eternal life to us is just as certain as His words to the thief on the cross. All who come to Him in faith will be with Him forever in paradise. He is our great hope and Savior. What a Savior we have in Him. So how then should we respond How then should we respond? Will we respond to this commandment with renewed trust in Christ as our Savior? I hope you see that. Every time you look at the law of God, not that you get saved again. That's stupid. We We don't believe that. Not that you get saved again. But your faith should be renewed every time that you look at the law of God. Surely Christ is my only hope. So in response to this, we renew our faith in Christ and renew ourselves to a commitment of obedience to him that flows from a heart of gratitude. Again, the law has pointed out our sin and pointed us to our Savior, and now what does Christ do? He points us to the law, not to save ourselves, not to try to receive justification by way of the law, but so that we might live a life that honors him. Out of gratitude for the salvation he's given to us, as we strive to obey in faith. So here are some practical actions in light of what we've learned this evening. How do we strive to keep this commandment? The first is this. If you're aware of anyone that you've stolen from or defrauded or kept a borrowed item, whatever it might be, I want you to go and make restitution to them. Return the item. If you don't have the item, go to them, admit your sin, pay them back, make, right, make things right with them, however it is that you can. Never forget Zacchaeus, the wee little man. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus forgave him for all of his theft and Zacchaeus turned around and made restitution to everyone he had defrauded true repentance manifests itself in action does it not so go and honor Christ by seeking to make it right with other people so much as it depends upon you another look into your finances and ask yourself where you could cut back on your wasteful spending and dare I say it most of us can do that where might we be able to cut back strive to be a better steward of the money that God has given you make a budget and section off money for the giving to the church or other ministries and the poor find where you could be more generous with your funds and commit to doing something right don't let it be all good feelings and talk right don't be like the person that James describes that looks into a mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like don't be hearers of the word be doers of the word Think about how you spend your time. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have leisure time or to rest and relax, but really ask yourself, what is the best use of my time? And again, I'm not saying you don't have time to do whatever you want from time to time. But See how you might be investing more into your family to lead them in the things of God. How you might be able to invest more time in your church family by discipling others or joining a small group if your schedule permits it. Think of just how in general you might make yourself more useful to the kingdom of God. And again, don't count it as a small thing if all you can say is I look at my schedule and all I have time to do is pray. That's not a small thing. Commit yourself to prayer. Again. Fourth, be prepared tomorrow as you walk into work to give an honest day's work. Rubber meets the road here, doesn't it? Go to your boss if necessary and apologize for wasting time in the past and let him or her know that you're going to strive to do better in the future. Again, seek to make things right. And last, all of this is going to take some reflection and serious thought. So check your hearts. Check your hearts in general. Repent of any known sin that's in there. There's something, I'm sure. Not just about the Eighth Commandment, but any known sin. And strive to give to God what belongs to God, which is all of your allegiance, all of your affection, all of your obedience. And in all these things that we do, may we do them with free hearts and loving hearts to God, knowing that Christ is the Savior of thieves and that our redemption is in him and by his wounds we have been healed. Christ has died to save us. Now may, may we leave here and seek to honor him in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It's truth. As the Lord Jesus prayed, sanctify us by your truth. And Lord, we can see that you do that every time that we come and sit before your word. You reveal our sin to us. You you give us good motivations for obedience. You show us who you are. You show us who we are. You show us that our great savior is Christ. Lord, I pray that we would leave here remorseful for our sin, seeing that there is nothing good in us but feeling very confident. Resting in Christ alone, that he is our righteousness, he is our right standing with you. Lord, help us to be an honest people. Grant us repentance where we need it. And Lord, help us to not be glory thieves, but to live for your honor and praise in all that we do. We pray this in the name of Christ who loved, and loved us and gave himself up for us. Amen.